A Gift of True Esteem by Appledell. Chapter 3 Good morning. Welcome to Hogwarts. My name is Professor Harry Potter, and I have a few words I'd like to say before we begin the lesson this morning. Every great wizard who has ever lived has been where you are now, at the very beginning. We're all here at Hogwarts to learn, and that means we have to do our best not to judge ourselves. Learning means failing. I know that can be a bit scary, but if we really want to learn new things, we have to accept that there are going to be things we don't know how to do, and commit to trying things, even if we have to try them many times before we get them right. That's all right. That's the point. This is a place where it's safe for you to fail. School is not for being perfect. If you're perfect, it means you're not learning. Now I think you're all aware that magic can be dangerous when we're not careful while we use it, so it's important that you listen carefully when I'm speaking to you here, and you ask questions when you need help. Understood? Excellent. Now, enough with all that waffle from me. Thanks for listening well, but I'm sure you want to know when we'll be getting on with the magic. Well, we'll be getting on with it right now. I'm going to teach you one of my favorite defensive spells. It's the disarming charm. Does anyone here happen to know the incantation for the disarming charm? Yes, uh, let's see. Uh, Davina, you know the incantation for the disarming charm? A bit louder, if you can. Uh, that's right. Yes, exactly. Everyone got that? Expelliarmus. Thanks, Davina. Take five points for Hufflepuff. All right, now let's practice that incantation together. Everyone together now. Expelliarmus. Good. That's the easy bit. Right, does anyone know what the disarming charm does? Isaiah? That's right, it disarms your opponent. They lose hold of their wand, or whatever they happen to be holding, if you land this one. Thanks, Isaiah. That's five points to Ravenclaw. Well done. Now who's going to help me demonstrate the disarming charm to the rest of the class? Wow, all right. I've got to pick just one, though. Uh, let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, Mariam. This will only hurt a bit. I'm joking, of course. It'll hurt a lot. No, it won't hurt. Don't worry. Okay, ready? Hold your wand up. Everyone watch my wand movement now. Expelliarmus. Oh, sorry about that. Accio Miriam's wand. There you are, Miriam. Ten points to Gryffindor for being a good sport. And sorry again, Cole. Take five points to Slytherin for nearly being hit in the face. Just this once, though. Next time, I expect you to duck. All right. Anyone have questions? No? Wands out, then. Let's divide into pairs and give it a go. About a fortnight into term, an hour after dinner ended, Harry was sitting in his office, bumping his shins against Happy's warm, peaceably snoozing back as he marked essays when someone knocked on his door. Come in, he called, setting down his quill. The door opened, and Malfoy's pale, pointed face appeared in the doorway. Good evening, Professor Potter. Do you have a moment? I have a student here in need of your assistance. Of course, said Harry, noticing the student, a very nervous-looking first-year girl who was meekly peering around Malfoy, as if to be quite sure of what she was getting herself into before she followed him into Harry's office. Come in and sit down. Malfoy pulled the door open a little wider to allow the student in ahead of him, then took a chair after she took the sofa. How can I help you? Harry said, looking first at the student, then at Malfoy. Malfoy looked at her too. 
Would you like to start, Yvette? Yvette looked very frightened and remained silent. No one's going to punish you. You're not in any sort of trouble, Malfoy said in a low, gentle voice, shooting Harry an almost threatening look as if to say, Don't you dare make a liar of me, Potter. We just want to help. Has something happened? Harry asked, leaning forward over his desk. Um, Yvette looked helplessly at Malfoy. She murmured something with the upward lilt of a question, but Harry couldn't make out her words. I'll start, Malfoy said kindly. And you can join in when you're ready, all right? Yvette nodded. Okay. Malfoy palmed the arms of his chair thoughtfully for a moment before he began. Yvette is enrolled in my History of Magic class for her first lesson of the day. And she, uh, she has been having a little trouble with... She's been finding herself very sleepy in lessons. In fact, yesterday she fell asleep. I sent her to the hospital wing, but this morning she fell asleep in the lesson again, and I asked her to come back after lessons were through for the day, so we could have a little chat about it. Malfoy glanced at Yvette to see if she was ready to speak for herself, then continued slowly. Yvette told me. I can't sleep here, Yvette squeaked, worrying at the end of her long black plate and rocking in her seat. It's so noisy. There's so much noise all the time. The castle makes noises. The ghosts are always making noises. The portraits make noise. Someone's always talking. One of the girls in my dormitory has a cat that's always making an awful racket. It wakes me up every night. My head hurts all the time. And and I miss my... I miss my mum and dad and my little dog in my bedroom at home. She finished with a small sob. I'm sorry to hear you're having such a hard time of it, Yvette, Harry said gently, conjuring a handkerchief and offering it to her. We can certainly help you with that. We've got special hangings for your bed that we can use to dampen sound when you go to bed. If you need more help, please tell me, and I'll write to your parents so that you can do a flu call with them. How does that sound? Yvette nodded. Okay. Is there anything else troubling you? Yvette shook her head. Would you like to meet my little dog, Happy? Yes, please, said Yvette shyly. Harry ducked and nudged Happy, who had pricked her ears at the mention of her name. Come on now, time to be a good host. Say hello. Happy came agreeably out from under Harry's desk and ambled over to Yvette. While Yvette was occupied with Happy, Harry scribbled a note to the elves and flewed it to Creature. Yvette was looking more cheerful under doggy attention when he'd finished. All right, Yvette, your new bed hangings should be sorted out before you go to bed tonight. When you need help, always ask, yes? Thank you, Professor, Yvette said, giving Happy one last hug. And thank you, Professor Malfoy, Harry said, looking at Malfoy. Thank you, Professor Malfoy, Yvette echoed as she left the room. After the door shut behind her, Harry turned his attention to Malfoy, who was looking about Harry's office with interest his gaze stopping on Happy. Quite different to how it was when we were kids, don't you think? Malfoy said, finally meeting Harry's eye. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yes, Malfoy rose to leave. Quite. Professor Gideon Sweaterby joined the Hogwarts teaching staff as the Muggle Studies master a short time after Harry started there, and he was very popular with the students. One reason he was so popular was because he had founded the Muggle Studies Movie Club. 
Every month, the club gathered in the Great Hall and screened a muggle film. The screenings were open to the whole school, and the club made and sold muggle snacks, with the proceeds going to expand their film library. The tables and benches were stacked out of the way, and students brought cushions and blankets and sleeping bags to lounge on, while teachers tended to bring armchairs from the staff room. Harry had rather too much work to do at any given point throughout the entire school year, but he'd long ago decided that he had to make time for leisure and enjoyment or risk cracking up. So every month, he'd take his favorite armchair from the staff room and bring it out to the Great Hall to enjoy the Muggle Studies movie club screening with the rest of the school. This month's film was Howl's Moving Castle. Animated films were always extremely popular, and the hall was even more crowded than usual. Harry bought a bag of popcorn, a Mars bar, and a can of Coke from the table near the front of the room, then placed his chair along the back wall of the hall with the other staff members. Most of them, anyway. There were still a handful of professors who considered the Enterprise beneath them. Harry rather suspected some anti-Muggle-born leanings in some of them. Perhaps that was why he was surprised when Malfoy squeezed in beside him at the end of the row and conjured a small padded stool from the end of his wand. Evening, whispered Malfoy when he saw Harry looking at him. It hasn't actually started yet, Harry advised at his normal volume. I wouldn't have thought that this is your sort of thing. I've seen this one, actually, Malfoy said carelessly, seating himself on his stool and bringing out his own store of snacks, a large box of every flavor beans. But it's lovely, so I thought I'd see it again. No chocolate, Harry asked, looking at the box of sweets. That surprises me. You're in a critical mood this evening, remarked Malfoy, shaking a few beans into his hand and biting into a pink one. I just thought you sort of had a thing for chocolate. You always had chocolate in your care packages from home. Malfoy raised his eyebrows. Did I? Were you craning your neck to see what I had in my care packages from all the way across the hall? Should I be flattered? Flattered? Harry scoffed. You were always bragging about how your mum had sent you loads of lovely sweets, and how awful it must be to have no one who loved you back home, like me. So, yeah, sometimes I had a shofty to see what was so great. I see. Even in the dim light of the great hall, Harry could see that Malfoy was blushing. I'm sorry. That was... I was quite a little tick, wasn't I? I'm sorry for speaking to you that way. It's okay, Harry muttered after a moment's surprised silence. It was twenty-five years ago, almost. My mother would send me those huge care packages so that I could offer sweets to the other kids in my house, said Malfoy quietly. They didn't much like me. It was meant to help me make friends. You might have had an easier time with that if... If I hadn't been such an awful brat, yes. The thought has occurred to me in the years since. Harry thought it would be impolite to express his surprise aloud, so he kept quiet, and the film started a moment later anyway. Harry got absorbed in the film quickly enough that he was startled a few minutes later, when Malfoy tapped him on the knee. He turned to see what Malfoy wanted, and saw that Malfoy was holding out his box of every flavor beans to offer them to Harry. Harry stared at the box for a moment, then extended one cupped palm to receive a handful of sweets. One evening, a week or so before Halloween, Harry was sitting in his office, reading up on a spell he wanted to show the class, when his door popped open and Malfoy's enormous white cat sprang into the room. 
the cat made straight for Harry, rubbing against his shins insistently, butting its head against him, finally bracing its paws against his knees to stand up and mew loudly. Hello, said Harry, bemused. He stroked its head, and it grabbed at his hand with velveted paws, nibbling at his hand without exactly biting. Hey, he withdrew his hand. Enough of that. The cat was undeterred and began biting and pulling at his robes. Stop that. The commotion woke Happy, who came from her basket by the hearth to sniff the cat. The cat paused its attentions toward Harry to meet Happy's sniffing. Nose to nose, some sort of understanding seemed to pass between them, and Happy whined and began to tug at Harry's robes with her teeth also. All right, Harry rose from his seat. What is going on with you two? Encouraged, the cat dashed for the door and lingered a moment to make sure Harry was following. He had a job keeping up as the cat bounded through the corridors, pursued closely by Happy. Fortunately, it was quite late in the evening, and most of the students were in their common room. He was sure he looked quite mad in his pursuit to the few people he did pass. But he didn't slow down long enough to hear any questions, and before long, the cat stopped outside a door and scratched at it with a piercing, insistent yowl. As Harry reached out to open the door, he realized he was outside Malfoy's office. Harry gave a yell of surprise and fright when he pulled the door open. Crouching inside and seeming almost too large to be contained in the office was an enormous wolf. Harry's first foolish thought, as he reached for his wand, was that the beast had eaten Malfoy. But the wolf flattened its ears and tightened its tail about itself, shivering in fear. And Harry noticed that it was tangled in a set of robes that he recognized as belonging to Malfoy. Merlin and Morgana! Harry squeezed himself into the office and shut the door behind him. Malfoy? The wolf let out a sweet whine and thumped his tail on the floor of the office. The robes were twisted about Malfoy's chest and neck, looking uncomfortably tight and digging into the plush fur about his throat. Harry felt an overwhelming rush of sympathy. I'm going to cut you loose, all right? Try and keep still. Malfoy thumped his tail again, which Harry took as a scent. He stepped forward and raised his wand, pointing it carefully at the knotted fabric. Defindo! There was a ripping sound, and the twisted cloth tore and loosened. Harry pulled it free and tossed it on the ground before he stepped back. I had no idea. Are you all right? You need help? He noticed that the chairs had been overturned, and the desk was askew, and Malfoy had one foot in the cold fireplace. It can't be too comfortable in here like that, Harry reasoned aloud. I suppose... You want me to let you out? Harry made to open the door, but Malfoy shrunk back even further and very distinctly shook his head. Oh, right. I wouldn't want to go through the holes like that either. Awkward questions. Um, hmm. A sudden inspiration struck him. Hang on, I've got an idea. I'll be right back, okay? Harry slipped out of the office and found Malfoy's cat and Happy waiting outside the door. Uh, Scorpius, that's your name, right? You can open doors, can't you? Could you let me into Malfoy's rooms? I'm going to try and help him, but I need your help first. The cat chirruped and trotted off, tail held high. Harry followed Scorpius to Malfoy's apartments, and when the cat, the Neasel, Harry corrected himself, had opened the door, 
Harry ran in and found the wicker carrier that Malfoy had carried Scorpius in on the day he'd moved into the castle. Harry caught up the carrier and dashed back to Malfoy's office. He came in with the case in his arms and set it on the floor. You told me before that it's got an undetectable extension charm on it, and that I'd fit inside. If you get in, I can carry you back to your apartments without anyone seeing. Malfoy was already crawling into the carrier before Harry finished speaking, and when the fluff of his silvery tail had vanished inside, Harry shut and latched the door and lifted the carrier. It wasn't at all heavy, though he could hear Malfoy shifting about inside. Harry locked the office door behind him and went off to Malfoy's apartments, Happy and Scorpius prancing along on either side of him, like a sort of honor guard. Scorpius opened the door for him again, and Harry came just inside to set down the carrier and unlatch it. He waited until Malfoy had come out and stretched luxuriantly, then jumped onto the sofa. Scorpius and Happy pushed past Harry to jump onto the sofa with Malfoy, and looked back at Harry expectantly. Harry laughed. Come on, Hap, this isn't your sofa. Come on, girl, heal. Happy obeyed with great reluctance, and when she was beside Harry again, Harry sort of waved. Well, have a nice night, I suppose. Malfoy made a sort of snuffling sound that might have been assent or derision, and Harry quitted the room, shutting the door gently behind him. Harry was not very surprised the next morning when he came into his office to find a flu note from Professor McGonagall requesting that he cover one of Malfoy's lessons, as Malfoy had taken ill. It was a period Harry usually had free for planning and marking, straight after lunch. Malfoy's class was composed of sixth-year NEWT students, and so was quite small, with only five students. Harry had never had a class so openly disappointed to see him when he walked in. Where's Professor Malfoy? demanded Tertia Petri, with her hand in the air, as Harry took his place behind Malfoy's desk. Typically, once you've got your hand raised, you wait to be called on before asking the question, Tertia, Harry said mildly. He's off sick, said Willoughby Robards, probably sick of you toadying all the live-long day. That's out of order, Will. I'd recommend you apologize unless you want to lose five points from Gryffindor. Sorry, Tertia, Will muttered. Professor Malfoy is indisposed today, and I'm looking in on you for him, Harry told the class. He glanced at the register, as a quick look was enough to let him know that all the students were present, since there were so few. Give me just a moment to review his notes on what you're meant to be working on in today's lesson. Tarsha looked as if she were bursting to tell him, but Harry let her work through it while he silently read Malfoy's notes. Professor Malfoy left word that you'll be sharing your term paper topics for your, wow, five-foot essays that are due at the end of term, and you'll be giving each other peer critique as well. Remember, peer critique is meant to be actionable. Specific advice or concerns or encouragement that will help your classmates strengthen their essays. It's great, or it's lousy, aren't critique, understood? I was really looking forward to getting feedback from Professor Malfoy also, broke in Tertia, fixing Harry with a hard look that bordered on a glare. I'm sure Professor Malfoy will be able to speak to you about your topic when he returns. Harry assured her. Can I go first? pressed Tertia. Alphabetical order, Harry said. That was how he always did it. The impersonality of alphabetical order felt like fairness to him. Clark, you're up. Clark rose and read off a bit of parchment. For my topic, I chose the unionization of the Hogwarts house elves, 
I'm hoping to be able to interview some of the elves working here, and, um, yeah. Thank you, Clark, said Harry. If you need help with that, I can introduce you to one of the elves. I've known him for years. Thanks, said Clark brightly. Yeah, that would be good. Who has feedback for Clark? Harry addressed the rest of the class. Marin raised her hand, and Harry nodded for her to go on. How are you going to establish your scope? Like, what counts as the beginning? Clark shuffled the parchment about a bit more, and answered rather shyly. Well, I'm not that far along in my research yet, but there were some liberation efforts before the war. Like, there was this free elf called Dobby, who was hired by Professor Dumbledore in the early 90s for, like, a wage and everything, and some people reckon that he sort of started the free elf movement at Hogwarts. But I kind of plan to begin with the rebuilding of the castle after the war, because it's sort of a bright line. And, um, yeah, good question. Cheers. Harry felt rather heartsick at the mention of Dobby, but he tried not to let it show on his face. Thanks, Marin. Anyone else? No? Okay, Emma, you'll go. Emma didn't stand up, but answered from her seat. I want to do, like, the retirement of spells, and I'll choose some spells as examples, but I haven't chose them yet, so don't ask. Tertia raised her hand. How's that history of magic? Emma rolled her eyes. Cause I'm gonna talk about, like, why do spells go out of fashion, and sometimes it's because we don't do the thing the spell is meant for anymore. That's history, and it's about magic, yeah? History of magic. Well, maybe you should choose one spell, since you're only writing one roll of parchment and not a whole book, then, said Tertia. Thanks, said Emma, rather sarcastically. Anyone else? offered Harry. All right, go ahead, Marin. Marin stood up. So, in the 10th century, there was this shift in the way people thought of magic. It went from being just an innate ability to more like something you can study as well, like a discipline, and that led to magical schools and universities being created, and I want to talk about that. Which bit do you mean? Clark asked. The shift or the schools? I was kind of thinking of them together, admitted Marin. It seems a bit vague, Tertia said. I reckon it could get really overwhelming really quickly. Marin nodded. Okay, thanks. Maybe I'll focus on a particular school then. Hogwarts even, said Clark, if you like. Marin nodded again. Thank you. Tertia stood up almost before Marin had sat down. I'm going to be doing my research about the lovers of Hufflepuff. What, all of them? Harry said before he could help himself. Willoughby laughed. Tertia glared at Willoughby and then at Harry. About 500 years after Hogwarts was founded, there were these two Hufflepuff students, Abelard and Jonathan, and they were rivals at school. After Hogwarts, they met again, copying out manuscripts at the University of St. Catherine. Later on, they both became monks at the monastery attached to the university, and while they were at the monastery, they became lovers. Which we know, because they left behind all these journals and notes and marginalia and stuff. They both wrote loads. It was kind of their thing. Their writing is used by a lot of magical historians to understand what life was like in their era, actually. But the nature of their relationship was suppressed. Some of their writings were suppressed for hundreds of years, and some historians even called them the brothers of Hufflepuff. Because of homophobia, she added. I'll have a read of that when you're finished, if it's okay, said Clark after a moment's silence. It sounds really interesting. Harry felt much the same way. But the idea of saying so made him feel rather exposed, so he didn't. Sure, said Tertia, 
still rather glaring. She sat down without waiting for any critique. Willoughby also rose without waiting to be called on. I'm going to do mine on the history of the Sword of Gryffindor. Marin raised her hand. The goblin history or the wizarding history? Or both? Willoughby scoffed. Well, it wasn't the Sword of Gryffindor until Godric Gryffindor got hold of it, was it? Marin shrugged. Just wondering, because it's goblin made, right? So the history of the sword started with the goblins. You don't have to suck up to Malfoy when he's not even here, Willoughby said scornfully. Marin scowled. I'm not sucking up. I just think goblins are interesting. Well, I just think wizards are interesting, and I want to do my report on Gryffindor's sword, and it wasn't Gryffindor's sword until Gryffindor had it. And Will sat down again, as if to draw a line under the argument. Marin was still scowling, and mouthed something that looked like, Fucking baby. Is Professor Malfoy especially fond of goblins? Harry asked, feeling that he was missing some context to the argument. Not goblins specifically, said Willoughby. He's just full of all-round, anti-pureblood, wizarding pride makes you practically a murderer, and everyone else is better than us because we handed them their asses so many times, PC bullshit. There was an immediate murmured ripple of annoyance and disgust from the other students. Harry was rather taken aback. He took a moment to make sure he could answer with composure. Well, when Professor Malfoy was your age, Willoughby, he saw the world a lot like you do. I knew him quite well at the time. As you can see, he's changed his mind about things a lot. And I know one of the reasons he was anxious to work at Hogwarts was because he wanted to share that perspective with the students. So I think you should ask him about that. I think he would surprise you. As for your essay, you're free to write about what you like. Marin wasn't attacking you. She was trying to offer you feedback to help you think about the direction of your research, same as she did for Clark. Yeah, interjected Marin. Willoughby muttered something darkly that sounded like, having a go at me. Harry was getting a little fed up with Willoughby's attitude. All right, does anyone else have feedback for Will? Uh, offered Clark quietly. If you're doing modern era stuff, you should ask Professor Potter about the Chamber of Secrets. There's a bit about it in a book I was reading in my house elves research, so I could give you the title if you want to start with that. But, you know, Professor Potter's like right here, and you could do a bit of that historiography stuff Professor Malfoy's always talking about. Even better, you should ask Professor Longbottom about the snake, said Harry, inwardly blessing Clark's peacekeeping instincts. I think that'd be even more your thing, Will. Willoughby grunted. Thanks but Harry saw him make note of it on his parchment, and the class was able to peaceably move on with the lesson. After lessons, and before he went down to dinner, Harry went to Malfoy's apartments to bring notes from the lesson Harry had covered for him. Harry had planned simply to slide the notes under the door, but when he reached it, as he stooped to slide the parchment into the gap under the door, the latch clicked, and the door popped open. Scorpius stood on the threshold and greeted Harry by pressing himself against Harry's shins, rubbing long white hairs all over Harry's robes. Nice to see you too, Harry said, scratching Scorpius behind the ears. I've just come to leave these for Malfoy. I don't suppose he'd want me inviting myself in, or, uh, I'm not sure you've got the social standing to invite me in yourself. So glad to see you're coming around on Scorpius, called Malfoy from inside the apartments. His voice was a little weaker than usual, and there was a certain raspiness to it. I'd rather you come in than stand there with the door open all night. 
Harry snorted, but he came in and shut the door behind him. I've brought you my notes from the lesson I covered for you today. It was your sixth years. Malfoy was stretched out on his velvet sofa, wrapped in a heavy wool blanket and looking pallid and peaky. Thank you. Some people might have kept them till I returned to my duties, but I appreciate your zest. You may leave them on the table. Harry put the papers on the table. Your kids really know their stuff. We're making progress, and I'm very optimistic. Thank you. I wish History of Magic had been like this when I was in school, Harry said, stooping to pet Scorpius, who was rubbing against him again. How gratifying. I think I might have set Willoughby Robards on you, though. Sorry. There was a little bit of a tiff in the lesson, and I think he feels sort of, uh, persecuted. He said something about anti-pureblood PC bullshit, which is ironic because he's kind of bullying Tertia Petri. Thought you ought to know. Oh, for goodness sake. Malfoy rolled his eyes. Circe strengthened me. I knew he'd come out with it sooner or later. Thank you for telling me. I'll speak to him. Do you think that would have worked on you? Harry asked, without quite meaning to. A chat with a teacher? Malfoy's expression sort of creased. Not that you're not good with them, Harry said quickly. Because you are. I just... wondered. Well, Malfoy said slowly. Not sixth, not at his age, I don't think. It isn't just hearing that you've been wrong that makes a difference. It's being able to imagine a different way to be. At his age, I was sure I was going to be killed quite soon, and there wasn't anything I could do to stop it. I... Harry felt rather chilled, and for some reason ashamed. I know the feeling. He cleared his throat. I reckon we might be able to get through to robots, though. We might, said Malfoy, with the barest emphasis on we. Indeed. He's not a bad kid, exactly. It's not that he wants to hurt people. More that he's a bit... limited. It's our job to help him see things differently. Yes, Malfoy nodded. So it is. I'm glad you agree. ETL Echo. Echoing Tales of Enemies to lovers.